Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Education Leadership and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. This is Andrew Murata, and welcome to show number nine. Good morning to you all out there. And we have a special guest with us today, a friend of mine, basketball referee, an educator, and a college basketball supervisor, Tim Ebersaw, uh, will be joining us in our next segment uh, but it's nice to be back on the radio and nice to be back in the studio. I got my man Gavin Burt here uh, running the uh, the board here. Gavin, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you this morning? I am good, Gavin. Uh, we've had some great weather the past few weekends, and even though it's only uh, Monday now, we're hoping the weather will continue through uh, this weekend. Although I have to admit, and many of your listeners will probably turn the radio off when I say this, I prefer the cooler weather, so I haven't been complaining lately, and I do like shoveling snow, so uh, I'm, I'm ready for winter. When uh, when we hit December and January, you guys can email in the show with some nasty grams to Gavin for, for wishing <laughs> us, but uh, yeah, I was away, Gavin. I was on vacation. Actually, it was cool. Uh, it was cool out there. It was not the best beach weather, uh, but I know it was beautiful here. Well, and, you know, as long as you aren't on Ocracoke Island in North Carolina where they've lost all their power, you were probably still in a good spot. We were in a good spot, and that will lead us uh, to today's uh, topic, uh, my concept uh, for education, leadership, and beyond. And we are on Country 107.7 WDLC. 106.9 WYNY and Wall Radio, 94.1 FM, 94.9 FM, 105.7 FM, 106.1 FM, 13.40 AM, and 101.5 FM HD2 in Middletown, New York. And today's concept, again, I mentioned I just came back from vacation. It sure was nice to get away. It sure was nice to not have my watch on at all times, not have my cell phone with me. Certainly uh, last week we talked to our guest, Tom Ricard. We talked about technology and, and using the cell phone. And, uh, but it was nice to not have that clock close by. As a principal, as a uh, parent, as a uh, referee, I live and die by that clock. And uh, that's what today's concept is, time management and using your schedule to your advantage, treating time, treating your time like a commodity. Again, I was away on Shelter Island, uh, New York. It's kind of frozen in time out there, and, and it was nice to get away. But I'm back. I'm back to school, back to work, and uh, I was reflecting about today's show. As a leader, whatever your field is, how do you manage your time? How do you manage your work and, and all the things coming at you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the seven habits and living by the clock or living by the compass. Do you live in a reactive type setting or a proactive type setting? And, and again, I picked this topic, uh, our, our next guest coming up, Tim Ebersall is a coordinator of basketball officials and he's an official himself. Um, we're going to talk to Tim. He schedules thousands of games uh, for referees, and, and his schedule is so organized and the way he does it, and we're going to dive into that. Uh, but my life is, is constantly being run by a bell or a horn 
I had my daughter Claire on. She's 11 years old a couple of weeks ago. I also have my, my son Matthew, who's nine. And uh, for those that are listening to the show, Tessa T- the Tornado, my six-year-old, if you know her, she's a ball of energy. So I have those guys at home as well. But my life is constantly has a bell or a horn or that dinner time or that bedtime. So deadlines and things coming up. So I've learned quickly over the years to make sure I can master my schedule and make sure that I am uh, maximizing my time. What type of business are you in? What type of work do you do? And how do you schedule that? So let's start with that question. How do you schedule your day? When are you most productive? Do you take care of all the most important things uh, early as you can? Are you someone that uh, is a freelancer and maybe does better at night in the evening? But scheduling those important things and, and getting what you want to accomplish done during the day, how do you do that? Do you begin with the end in mind? Uh, again, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the seven habits with Dr. John Bell from Delaware Valley Schools, beginning with the end in mind. So when you're planning out your week, when you're planning out your work day, do you schedule those important rocks? Do you take care of those important things first? And what methods do you use? Are you someone that is tech savvy and Google savvy and are all your gadgets and devices synced? When you add something to your cell phone, does it go automatically onto your laptop, onto your desktop? Do you use the old fashioned uh, book calendar? And I just grabbed it out of my back pocket. For those that know me, I keep that black book in my back pocket uh, because I like to see the whole month on paper. I like to have it in front of me sometimes on, on the gadgets you don't see that all so well, and uh, I do like to have that alongside with my gadget so I could see the whole month, not just the day, not just the week. And I use the at-a-glance pocket calendars. I like that. Do you set reminders for yourself? Are you going old school and setting Post-it notes on your computer, Post-it notes by your toothbrush, Post-it notes on your steering wheel? Sometimes I have to uh, rely on that myself. But what, whatever the reminder is, are you leaving those important reminders for yourself uh, that the, on the cell phones, on the, on the gadgets? You can have different things pop up. Your phone might uh, vibrate uh, when there's a reminder for something. Gavin, you wanted to jump in here. I think you've mentioned this product before, but I use a Franklin Covey planner. Uh, I've used it at this company for 12 years. That was it. But it's urging, but it's become very helpful. I will admit, and, and they may not recommend this at Franklin Covey, the one time I don't take it with me is on vacation because when I'm on vacation, unless this building is burning down, I don't want to think about work. Well, and that's, you know, we started the show with that. It certainly is nice to unplug. Um, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks about unplugging and finding your old blue chair like the Kenny Chesney song. But yeah, Franklin Covey runs, uh, is, owns that seven habits and uh, whatever it is for you, make it work for you. Uh, and again, we were talking about reminders. Your emails, do your emails populate right into your schedule when you set an appointment uh, via your email system, whether it's Google? Can you invite people to meetings? Uh, can you invite people to remote meetings? How do you adjust as needed? If you have your daily schedule and, you, and, and something happens, uh, an emergency happens, how do you adjust? Even just today, we were scheduled to come on the air here uh, and at the studio, there was an issue with the uh, 
with the internet, we got delayed a little bit. Our guest, Tim Ebersaw, is uh, going to be backed up a little bit, and, and we're backed up a little bit. We have to adjust, beginning with the end in mind. And the, and the last one, who are the gatekeepers of your time? Do you work uh, with a big team where you have a clerical or someone helping you? Are you someone who works your own business and creates your own hours? But we all have people in our lives, uh, and we say this fondly, but sometimes they're called time suckers. They want to just chit-chat or shoot the breeze, and, and, and do they knock you off your schedule? Uh, I'm a fan of you know someone that will say, uh, do you have just a minute? And, and I try to give that person a minute, uh, but I'll say I literally have one minute, and sometimes I'll set an alarm or I'll ask my secretary to say, hey, I gotta get I gotta get moving on that, Gavin. If you have a minute, I have a comment to make about that. <laughs> I find if some because I've dealt with many people going back probably fifteen years who are going to try to suck away your time, and that's nothing personal against them. That's just we all have different personalities, and I find what's mostly helpful is, you know, in the workplace, obviously you want to make eye contact with people, but if someone's really eating away at your time, the less eye contact you make with that person, you stay focused on your work the better off you're going to be. Um, it just, they may not get the hint, but you're going to stay focused on your work. So I think eye contact has a lot to do with that. Sure. And when you're engaged with the person, um, but you know, and, and, and I want to be respectful to all, all people, Gavin, and that's certainly a technique to kind of say, Hey, I'm busy, but I'd rather look them in the eye and say, Hey, so-and-so I got, I got to get moving. I don't have time, but can you schedule an appointment to see me? Or one of the things I like to do, Gavin, also, and this is in the in the book I have coming out in the fall, The Principle, Surviving and Thriving, uh, is can we do the walk and talk? They'll say, do I have a minute? And I'll say, yeah, but can you walk with me? Um, and I'll get to that classroom where I'm going or I'll get to that meeting where I'm going or I'll get to that cafeteria that I like to spend so much time in. Can you do the walk and talk? And sometimes it's a private issue and they can't. Uh, other times it's something that uh, certainly we can talk walking in the hallways. Um, and that, that brings me to my last point of, of the opening segment here on education, leadership, and beyond is you're not an emergency room unless you happen to be in an emergency room staff member, a, a nurse, or a doctor who works in an emergency room, or in a police office where you don't know what's going to walk through the door. You know, those people live in a reactive world, uh, emergency rooms and, and police stations where their work is walking through the door, and that's that's their job to respond to that. Um, I, I tell people we're not a doctor's office. I, I get uh, some some people listening. Maybe it's one of our listeners out there that you've been in the office, and you know people demand to see the principal, and they they want to see me. They want their needs met immediately, and my front office staff tries to sympathize with that. They try to listen to them, but they'll, they'll, they'll say he is busy. He is in, in something. He's in a classroom. Uh, and you do need to make an appointment. Uh, we've had people that say, well, I'm not leaving and I'm going to stay and wait for him. And, and sometimes I was able to squeeze them in. Other times they did have to wait, but you're not an emergency room. You're not a police office, uh, or a police station. So people do have to make appointments and that's a skill, uh, and a technique that, that, Leaders learn by managing their time, by treating their time like a commodity. You wouldn't walk down the street just throwing $100 bills away because it's your money. Well, it's your time. And as a leader uh, in your profession, in your world, you need to treat that time like a commodity. Schedule it appropriately 
and take care of the most important things first. And that is uh, today's opening segment on uh, education, leadership, and beyond. We have my good friend coming up in the next segment, Tim Ebersall, who is the coordinator for academic support services for student athletes at Shippensburg University. He's our guest coming up here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Country 107.7, WDLC 1069, WYNY, and Wall Radio. See you shortly with my guest, Tim Ebersall. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? And welcome back, everyone, to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. This is Andrew Murata, and we are on Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 WYNY, and Wall Radio. Happy and proud this morning to welcome my good friend to the show, Tim Ebersall. Tim, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? We're doing great. I love being on the, on the uh, show here. Tim, this is show number nine, and uh, we are very pleased to have you. Tim, uh, I'd like to introduce you. You are the coordinator for academic support services for student athletes at Shippensburg University, and you've held that spot for 22 years. Is that correct? Well, I've held, I've held that spot for two years. Okay. But, uh, prior, prior to that, uh, my title was Executive Director for University Relations. I've been here at Shippensburg University uh, of Pennsylvania for uh, 22 years. Got it. Okay. And I remember you telling me about that, the new job uh, change there. Tim, what, you know, coordinating the academic services for the athletes, tell me about that job and, and, and you know, what's it like working with the college athletes? Well, it's, 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 uh, every day is a different day. There are, um, there's a lot of support from our coaches, which makes my job relatively easy to, to do. Uh, we have approximately 500 student athletes, uh, for 18 intercollegiate teams. I'm, I'm real pleased with where we are academically. Um, the last, uh, semester, the spring semester of this year, uh, we had uh, 13 of our 18 teams that uh, earned a 3.0 or higher GPA. Real proud of that because I know how hard our coaches work and our, our student athletes work, uh, not only you know on the courts, on the fields, but especially and most importantly in the classroom. And that, that just reflects that with the, the GPA that we have. In fact, our GPA uh, for our student athletes is higher than our GPA for our student body. So that also wow. it, uh, is really good, really strong. Feel good about that. Absolutely. And Tim, uh, I have a two part question. You know, as a high school principal, I'm always looking for the best technique and the best way to reach a kid academically, socially, uh, you know, w- with trouble they're having. What are some of the techniques that you uh, instill with your, with your team there that you have, I'm sure there's tutors, people that you work with. What are some of the skills that they use working with some of the athletes that might be struggling? Well, you know, we have a really strong academic support system. 
uh, in place, whether it's for, um, you know, learning disabilities um, or any type of disability service, as well as our, our tutoring. We have a writing center uh, as part of our uh, a learning center, which is available to, to all students. But, um, you know, we have a pretty coordinated effort through our athletic programs and our coaches and, and um, you know, working with the uh, learning center uh, on campus. Uh, if a student has under a 2.0 GPA and they go on academic probation, um, our office or my, my office uh, immediately uh, responds to those students and, and reaches out to those students to uh, begin meeting on a biweekly basis and, um, you know, working with their study skills, their study habits, um, you know, do they need tutoring in certain areas? Uh, here at the university, you know, one of the things that we implemented about five years ago for our student-athletes is priority scheduling. Um, so in the fall and in the spring each year, our student-athletes have the first three days of scheduling where they're able to schedule their classes so that it's really a coordinated effort so that, you know, they're able and available for the practice time. Um, you know, we have a policy on campus um, that – uh, our student athletes are excused for any kind of event or contest, but you know practices, the classes are a priority. So if, if they're not able to schedule their classes around what would be their practice time, then then they're expected to be in the classroom first and then get to practice. And um, you know I think those things all help. Uh, there's a really good connection with our coaches and our and our office. Uh, for academic support, and um, you know, I work directly with the coaches as well as the student athletes on that support, especially for those students that need that. One of the other things that we we do provide, probably two thirds of our teams take advantage of, is we have a mandatory study hall program that our office coordinates, and that's that's run Sunday through Wednesday evenings. Uh, and each of the teams have whatever minimum hours they expect for their student athletes. Um, you know, if a student's on probation, I require them six hours in the study hall a week. And I think that's helped to get them started in the studying process. They need to study a lot more than that, but, but at least it gets them, you know, disciplined and organized with, um, you know, those six hours each week. They're, they're, they're really focused on their coursework and uh, their homework, you know, upcoming tests and papers and so forth. And Tim, I know you heard the opening segment about the importance of scheduling. So literally scheduling those classes around practice time. I mean, that's one of the first things your student athlete does is schedule their time for studies, for athletics, and for meals, correct? Absolutely. And one of the things that, um, you know, I think as a student athlete um, and, and, you know, a lot of the research, you know, reflects it is that, you um, you know, our student-athletes, as well as student-athletes across the country, seem to do better when they're in season because their time's limited and they really do focus on those available hours outside of practice and or game time to be able to, to prioritize their studying and their courses and so forth. And so, you know, out of season when they seem to have more time available, sometimes they slip a little bit because they, 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 they assume that they have that extra time and they'll be able to at some point, you know, put in the time, but it's not like it is in season. So time is very valuable, um, both in season and out of season. 
They're, be, they're being reactive uh, versus proactive in season. That schedule is made for them. Tim, as a high school principal here, uh, again, in Port Jervis, and this is education, leadership, and beyond, uh, we always want to send our, our students out ready for college. Again, whether they're going to a two-year school, a four-year school, or they're a student athlete, we want to send them college ready. What are some of the deficiencies that you see of students coming in uh, when they get to the university, you know, a student athlete? What are some of the struggles that you're seeing uh, when they arrive on campus socially and academically? When we're talking academically, I think one of the things that students have the most challenges with is the amount of reading they have to do or amount of reading materials is required for their class for their classes and, and preparation prior to the class and, and, and making sure that they're they come to class prepared and that they don't come without reading whatever materials are required for that that day's work or that 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 class assignment and so forth. Um, you know that's one thing. The second thing that I think academically that that is a challenge for students is um, in the, many times they're, they're used to or they grow up with the opportunity to do extra credit at the end of the marking period or at the end of the semester to be able to get their grades up. And that's not always the case in college. I mean, whatever the, the syllabus has outlined for, for each class, you know, the students, it's important for them to read that syllabus and make sure they understand what the expectation is that that professor has for them, whether it's class attendance, whether it's work required, papers, what the dates are on, on things that are due and so forth. Because, you know, in, in college, I've seen over the years, the expectation um, is much greater uh, on those, those due dates. Requirements are pretty definite in what the, each professor expects. In, in, in relationship to the, the social um, transition to college, a couple things come to mind. One, um, you know, students are on their own. No one's forcing them to get up out of bed for an 8 o'clock class to get to class, to, you know, make that bus to, to be able to get to school. So it's really an individual's decisions and, and how well organized and what their priorities are and so forth in how they handle the night before with their preparation for classes or, you know, are they watching TV? There's no one really to, to lean on them with, with athletics. We have a little bit of a, you know, a way to be able to lean on them through the coaches and so forth and the demands that the coaches have because if they want to participate, they've got to be academically eligible. Uh, but that's still that first semester is a hard semester for a lot of freshmen coming in because it is an adjustment. The other piece of the social atmosphere is there's a lot of opportunities and options for for students to to do and on a college campus or off a college campus and how they handle those social options that are out there and, and how they transition to what their priorities are and tim and let me that, let me let me jump in on there you're, you're you're saying they're not out playing cards. These are these are distractions that can hurt kids. Drugs, alcohol, Absolutely. trouble. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Drugs and alcohol, especially. And um, you know, I'm sure every campus has those challenges that they face to try and you know deter the students from from participating in those kind of things. But they're available. And um, you know, what a, what a student chooses to do or not to do really is that individual's you know what their interests are and so forth. But um, you know, for our athletes, we really try to 
focus on certain policies and programs. If, if a student, you know, is caught with drugs or is caught, you know, at a party with alcohol or gets a DUI or something like that, they, they can lose their whole, their scholarship, they can lose their opportunity to participate with whatever team they've chosen or they've been recruited by. Sure, and those are those are mistakes uh, that, that can hurt them in, in the long run. Tim, we have time for just one more question, and you heard the name of the show, Education, Leadership, and Beyond, and, and I certainly appreciate you, you giving this time to be on. Tim, one of the, the things that we look at here in Port Jervis, when we have an opportunity to hire someone who attended Port Jervis and they're the best candidate for the job, that's certainly a uh, something that helps them. And it's always uh, great for the community and the school when someone comes back. You know, you played football at Shippensburg. You attended Shippensburg. What was that like for you to go back there and then work at the place where you went to school? Well, at first, when I left Shippensburg, I, I spent uh, two years act- actually in secondary education. I got into coaching and I got into uh, teaching. Uh, in fact, back in my hometown, it wasn't in my high school, but it was in another school district within my hometown. And it's a great career, um, Tim. Yeah, and I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Two years from there, I, I had the opportunity to get into higher education, uh, to coach at the college level, and, and to work as an administrator uh, for eight years at a small private school uh, just outside of Hershey, Pennsylvania, uh, Lebanon Valley College. And so, uh, when the president here at Shippensburg called me uh, one summer afternoon uh, that I was on vacation. Uh, and offered to me a potential position that might be available here on campus in the near future. Um, you know, really, I, I got excited about that, the opportunity to get back to my alma mater and be able to contribute at an administrator's level and so forth. And he just indicated that I, I wouldn't be able to coach, but it'd be an administrator's type position. And at that point in my life, my kids were really starting to participate athletically, and I wanted to be available to see them uh, participate. And as a coach, sometimes you're limited on your time outside of your own teams that you're coaching. So uh, it definitely was an opportunity for me, and I, I took advantage of that. And, and once I got in, was in, uh, in university relations, I fell in love with the position. It's a great position. It's an opportunity to, to really work with our community, uh, both locally and regionally, and, and to really make a, a difference in you know raising money for programs and services that benefited not only students and faculty here on campus, but also our community and, and our region, um, you know, for, for funding sources and so forth. So I, I really appreciated that opportunity. And, um, you know, I, I've been here for 22 years, so that should really tell you how much I really enjoy what I'm doing. Shippensburg University. And, uh, Tim, we have to take a break here, but I'm looking forward to uh, talking a refereeing when you come back as your role as a referee and as a supervisor. That was Tim Ebersall, everyone, on Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody. This is Andrew Murata on Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. We are on Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 WYNY, and Wall Radio. You can hit me up on Twitter, Andrew Murata 21 and you can email in the show, Andrew at NeverSinkMediaGroup.com. We are back uh, with my good friend, Tim Ebersol. Tim is the um, coordinator for academic support services for student athletes at Shippensburg University. He is also the coordinator of officials for the CBOO, College Basketball's Officials Organization. And he's also a Division I referee himself. Tim, uh, again, you heard the, the name of the show. You're on here for all of those reasons. Uh, and I'm happy to talk some refereeing with you now. Um, tell us, how did you get started refereeing hoops uh, if you were a football player? Where, where did that come from, and when did you start refereeing? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, Andrew. When I was in um, high school, my favorite sport in high school was basketball. I really worked hard at that. Um, I probably had more success as a student athlete, especially in high school with baseball. Uh, I was a catcher in baseball and in football as a quarterback. Uh, but in, but basketball was really my first love, and um, um, and so you know that's that's where the basketball kind of came into play. And then when I went to college, um, I played baseball for two years. Uh, I played football, and I was fortunate enough to uh, ha- have a, a great college career. Uh, and actually, I was fortunate enough to be on a team that was really good at football. And we went to the national semifinals for Division II my junior year. Um, following that year, I was I was named the uh, East Coast Athletic Conference Player of the Year. You know, after my junior year, and then and then my senior year when I after I graduated, I actually played on the golf team my senior year as well as uh, played football. I was drafted in the Canadian Football League by the Tor- Toronto Argonauts, and I uh, had an opportunity to go to Toronto and play with Doug Flutie. Uh, well, that, no, I was a little bit before. I was <laughs> about the same time, actually. But uh, I, when I was in Toronto, Conridge Holloway was the quarterback out of University of Tennessee. And so I got to know Conridge Holloway, and I got to know a lot of good people up there. In fact, the offensive coordinator at the time was Mouse Davis, who was really eventually became a, an NFL, one of the top coordinators in the NFL uh, for many years. But um, – so I had a, a lot of good experiences, but when I was released, uh, I came back. I got into umpiring when I first came back from Toronto, so I had to take the test for that. And my dad, I tried to get into, actually, I tried to get into coaching basketball at my high school. I was trying to, to coach, like, they had a ninth grade position open, and I had talked to the coach about it. He already had someone in place, and my dad said, well, instead of coaching, why don't you try refereeing? Because he was refereeing at the time. And... Uh, and once I started refereeing, I, I got the bug, and I, I fell in love with, with, with basketball officiating. That's, that's really how I got started. Uh, so first year out of, out of college, and uh, I've been doing it ever since, a long time. And what is it that you love about it, Tim? You know, a lot of people tell me I wouldn't want to do your job uh, as principal, and they also say that to me as refereeing. What, what do you love about it? Well, I think – there's, you know, in, in, in any of the jobs that I've ever done, I think one of one of my personal traits is personality traits is, um, you know, I, I'm a people person, and and I'm really about relationships, and 
And when you're officiating basketball uh, or umpiring a sport and so forth, first of all, you're, you're, you're working with a partner or partners. And so you're in a team, in my opinion, a team-like environment. You get to meet a lot of really good people that you're working with, but you also get to meet a lot of really good people that are coaches, student-athletes. Uh, you develop relationships on and off the court with, with, with some of those folks. And uh, I think it's just a great positive experience. Of course, there's negativity in, in, in anything that you, you do. There's some types of negativity, but it's how you handle those ad- adversarial uh, situations or uh, ad- adversity, um, you know, individual adversity. And how, how do you handle that and how do you get stronger by by those, those situations and how, how do you um, you know, it says a lot about your character and your integrity and those kind of things. And, and that's always been real important to me, even as a supervisor. And I know you mentioned I am a supervisor. You know, I, I, that's more important to me, someone's character and integrity, than, than how many plays they get right. I mean, it's important for them to get plays right, but at the end of the day, their character and, and their integrity goes with them with everything they do. Well, and Tim, that's a, a great answer. And that leads me right to my next uh, question. You said character. You said integrity. I was going to ask you, what are, what are some of the characteristics that you think you need to be a, a successful referee? Well, to be a successful referee, I think, one, you've got to be well organized because you've got to be able to not only manage the schedule that you have, but you have to manage the availability that you have, and you have to be able to manage most likely whatever your full-time position is. You know, for, for many of us in, in, in refereeing, it's an avocation. It's not our It's not our... Our, our job, our full-time job. For some, it may be, but not for many of us. So, you know, you've got to be able to manage the time and 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 the responsibilities that you have in your your full-time position, and be able to give yourself that availability, or be able to work something with your your supervisor, or your boss, to be able to to enjoy the career, the application that you've chosen to be able to to pursue and. And uh, so I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is, you know, you, you've got to be honest. You can't, you can't try and sugarcoat something that, you, you know, you just have to be honest with it. whatever that situation is or whatever your interest is. If, if you've got a work, uh, a work assignment in your full-time job and you can't do something for, for a supervisor of basketball referees, you've got to be upfront and honest about that. And you get, and, and because if you try to, if you try to play both sides of the fence, sometimes you know you're going to get caught uh, in the middle, and you're going to get burned by that. And in basketball, as you know, Andrew, you know we work for not just one supervisor; we work for a multitude of supervisors. So you've got to be upfront and honest with those folks, um, so that they know who who the priority list is and how how you're going to take your games and so forth, so that no one gets caught off guard with um, your availability, whether you're open or closed. I know as a supervisor myself, the, the biggest frustration I have is seeing someone that shows on my assigning system that they're available to work a game, and I try to give them a game, and then they're not available. And and sometimes when, when I have to do that, that, that forces me to make two or three other changes just because that one person didn't handle their uh, administrative-type responsibilities with, within the system. So, you know, I think being well-organized, I think um, – being able to communicate effectively. I think communication is all about uh, being able to diffuse situations sometimes and emotions that, that may come into play with coaches and student-athletes and being able to manage that game or manage those individuals 
in a way that makes the game um, the best for both teams to have an have the ability to to win or lose whatever that game is on that day. Tim, we've talked a lot about communication here on education, leadership, and beyond, and in our roles as leaders and educators. Um, and one of the things I wrote down here, Tim, and I wanted to share this story with the listening audience is reliability. You talked about being organized, and, and if they're showing available, they have to be there. Uh, but one of the great stories I know with you, uh, you're extremely reliable. And uh, you were out in Detroit for a game. Of course, you were there the night before. You were ready. You were in your room and, and, and sleeping, and, and the phone rang uh, after midnight. And, and what was that phone call, Tim? What, what, did they, what did the supervisor ask you to do? Well, uh, it, it was really it was an opportunity that uh, came to me um, in a way that I would never have imagined. I, I was uh, scheduled to work a game at the University of Detroit. Um, it was a Saturday uh, afternoon game, a 1 o'clock game. And so I flew into Detroit the night before, uh, met my uh, my officiating crew, partners, and so forth, and we went to dinner, and then after dinner we, we went back to each of our hotel rooms. And um, it was late that evening. I, I, I was just about asleep, and uh, I saw my cell phone lighten up, and uh, so um, I assumed it was my wife trying to, you know, just confirm where I am and everything. She was, calling to, tell, she was calling to tell you she loves you. Come on now. <laughs> of course she was. <laughs> uh, that night he was, but not most nights. Not um, but uh, I looked. Uh, I looked who it was, and it was my uh, supervisor for the ACC and uh, John Clockerty. And so I um, took the call, and, and uh, John, on the other end, uh, said to me, "Tim, where are you?" And I, you know, said, "I'm in Detroit. You know, I've got the game tomorrow, and so forth. I'm ready to, to go." And he said, "Well, I need you to go to Cleveland." And I, I assumed at the time that he wanted me to go from Cleveland, go to Cleveland after my game the next day in Detroit. And I said, okay, well, do you need me to go there for Sunday? And he said, no, I, I need you to go there now. And I'm, and I kind of caught me off guard. And I, I said, uh, okay. I said, uh, what time do I need to be there? You know, uh, I'm assuming the game's tomorrow then. And he said, yes. He said, the game's at 11 a.m. tip. And uh, you need to get on the road right now. Uh, and so, you know, I got my stuff together. I had to go rent a car. And uh, uh, the reason that he needed me, one of the referees couldn't get in because, you know, in the winter, uh, I guess there were weather issues. And, and uh, he, the, the person that had the game uh, could not get into Cleveland until after 11 o'clock the next day. And the game was on ESPN. And it was 11 a.m. tip. And so um, I rented the car. I got on the road, took me about three and a half hours, and uh, I checked into a hotel in Cleveland about 4 o'clock, 4.30 that morning. And uh, uh, as you know, Andrew, you know, your adrenaline's gone, so it's, it, I really didn't get any sleep. And uh, uh, so um, I met my partners for breakfast about 7, and then we went over to the arena around 9 for the 11 o'clock tip. Uh, did the game, and... Uh, uh, it was interesting because at the end of the game, uh, I had a text on my um, phone from the supervisor who had called me and, and asked me to, to, you know, make the switch and so forth. And um, he um, he had on a text on the phone, uh, and he gave me two plays I needed to look at. And I thought to myself, 
I'm just glad I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so, but the one thing that I learned from that experience is, as, as a supervisor, was 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 really, um, you know, showing me was you did your job. Now you need to to get better at whatever those plays were. You know, he expected me to do that. He expected me to be able to get to wherever I need to get to. Because like you said, Andrew, I'm a reliable type person. And I think that's one of the things that that he appreciated because as a supervisor, you know, I have some guys that I know I can count on and go to at the last second. And I know they'll come through for me. And that's important. Well, and that says a lot, again, about you that he chose to call you in that moment and that you, you know, some of the guys might say, "Hey, I, I can't do that. It's it's you know, it's ten degrees out, and I got to get a car." You know, but you just your answer was no problem. So that that dedication, that reliability, those are all characteristics. Tim, you mentioned about that. You got to text. You know, check out these plays. You and I have both been in arenas where we've made a mistake, and certainly the coaches let you know, your supervisor lets you know. And, and the fans in the arena certainly, very kindly most times, let you know about those errors. Tell, how, how do you rebound, no pun intended, but how do, you, how do you bounce back after you have a mistake in the game? What, what, what are you telling yourself that, that, that you need to do next after you've made that, that error? I think, I think if you're going to be successful in any type of um, athletic type uh, contest or any event, uh, whether you're participating as a as a student athlete or you're participating as a referee or umpire and so forth, you're at some point in your career you're going to face adversity, and it's how you handle those adver- those adversity type situations uh, that really um, shows your character and shows how good you are at doing those kinds of things. And and you know I've always you know, growing up as an athlete um, and, you know, as a student athlete, you know, you don't, I I didn't get a hundred on every test I took in the classroom. So you've got to work at it and continue to practice to get better. But, but when you make mistakes or when you fall short, how do you, how do you take your mindset and refocus to be able to, to, to do better the next time or to learn from that experience? And so, you know, to answer your question, I mean, I, I look at every game and every situation, and I, I really treat every play like it's the most important play of whatever that game is, because it is, those games are important to those student athletes that are participating in it. It's important for us as referees or umpires to be able to give it our best every day and every game and every play. And so, um, you know, I, I, I really work hard, and when I do make mistakes, I I'm going to be honest about it to a coach. If a coach, you know, starts to react, I definitely try to get to that coach immediately as quickly as I can and just say, listen, I missed that play. Let's move on. Um, that's not going to happen again. And, and, you know, you can't do that a lot of times in a game, but there are times during the course of a game and the course of a season where you're going to, you're going to fall short. You got, you got to be able to handle that uh, in a rational way and without emotion and try and, refocus your attention to, to the next play and continue to get stronger. And I always try, try to tell our referees it's important, you know, that you don't miss plays down the stretch of a game, the last six minutes of a game, and especially in the last two or three minutes of a game, because when you make mistakes at that point, that can have a definite outcome on the course of that game. And uh, it's hard for a team to recover if the mistakes 
uh, a fatal one, which, you know, if you kick a rule or something like that, you know, it's important to be able to, to get rules correct and to be able to adjudicate plays in a way that um, is consistent with whatever the game is that you have in front of you. So, and Tim, let, let me jump in on that point. I don't want to make a mistake coming down the stretch. I got Gavin giving me the googly eyes here to go to a commercial break. So we're going to be right back with our guest, Tim Ebersole, here on Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 WYNY, and Wall Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. This is Education, Leadership, and Beyond with Andrew Marotta. These songs today uh, were selected by my guest, Tim Ebersole. Tim is the uh, coordinator for academic support services uh, for student athletes at Shippensburg University in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. He's also the coordinator of officials for the College Basketball Officials Organization, and he's a Division I uh, referee himself, uh, refereeing in conferences like the Atlantic 10 and the Atlantic Coast Conference. Tim, before we get to our last question, I just want to do a recap of today's show. Uh, and it was about scheduling of your time. Your time is a commodity and needs to be treated as such. Do you live by the clock or do you live by the compass? Do you live proactively or reactively with things happening at your job uh, where you instead of scheduling things, uh, being organized with your time. So that was today's theme. Uh, and the last portion of the show is a write-in question. You could send your question in uh, on Twitter at Andrew Marotta 21, or you can email in the show Andrew at NeverSinkMediaGroup.com. And again, this is Education Leadership and Beyond. Surviving and Thriving on Country 107.7 WDLC, 106.9 YNY, and Wall Radio. So, Tim, today's uh, last question for you uh, is for all of our parents out there that might have a rising senior in high school or a a child going off to to college. What advice as the uh, coordinator of academic support services uh, at Shippensburg, what advice would you give to parents out there uh, whose kid is, is heading off to college this fall? Well, the, the first thing I, I would suggest, Andrew, is that, that parents during the junior year for that student-athlete try to set up visits to certain the schools that have reached out to them and expressed an interest in them as a student-athlete and so forth to try and get, get that process started. You don't want to wait until the spring uh, semester of your senior year because then you're behind the eight ball a little bit. I think you need to be proactive, just like you talked about with your time, and especially when you're looking at colleges and so forth, to be able to get a head start on that. And then once they do that, to make sure that they've taken the SATs or the ACT tests, uh, because many of the colleges are looking at those scores to see where the student would fall in line uh, with an academic major and so forth. And, uh, And especially make sure that at some point in the junior and senior year that they do make an official visit to the university or college that they're interested in. I always recommend visit as many schools as you think you might be interested in because you want every school has something 
you know, to offer that might be of interest to that student athlete. And it, it may be a hard decision at the end of the spring semester uh, when they finally decide on what school they want to attend. But uh, they'll definitely want to be able to put all the things together and see what is the best best place for that student and student athlete. Tim, we appreciate you being on the, on the show today. That was a great answer. Uh, that was Tim Ebersol, everyone. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. We have our uh, a quote here as we end, and tune in next week uh, as our guest will be summer school high school uh, summer school principal Becky Fedorik, who is also the French teacher at the high school. Here's our quote to end the show, talking about time. When it comes to family, friends, and loved ones, love is spelt T I M E, and that's time. Spend that time with those important people in your life. And the second quote here. Be where your feet are. There's so much out there in the world, so many distractions. Be where your feet are and be engaged with those people that are in your lives. Again, this was Andrew Murata on Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving, with my guest today, Tim Ebersol. You guys have a great day and go out and change the world for the better. <laughs>